Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is God in Country, the collision of faith and politics. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical Rev. Dr. Sean is a proud military veteran, former law enforcement officer, and founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through counseling, elite life coaching, and national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This series is biblically and politically engaged with the pedal to the metal. With today's edition of God in Country, here is host and author of the acclaimed yet controversial book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is God in Country, the collision of faith and politics. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical Rev. Dr. Sean is a proud military veteran, former law enforcement officer, and founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through counseling, elite life coaching, and national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This series is biblically and politically engaged with the pedal to the metal. With today's edition of God in Country, here is host and author of the acclaimed yet controversial book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. Dr. Sean Michael Greener. All right, can everybody hear me? That's that's the ultimate question. We've had a total crash again, right as a show. It's, I don't know what happens if it's a pulse from uh, from Blog Talk Radio or what the deal is, but I apologize for it. Um, it's a computer issue dealing with the Blog Talk Radio, but I am I am very sorry for it. They're apparently having a major problem there. Uh, all that said, to say this, uh, it, it's a it's a bad day for it, obviously, and. Uh, I don't know if you all can hear me or not. Chat won't load because we don't have enough resources um, on the computer. So I've rebooted twice. We just don't know what the problem is. It's just computers overwhelmed. There's there's nothing more to say about it than that. Computers overwhelmed and that's that. And there's nothing I can do about it until I can afford to buy a new one. So um, we're gonna try to muddle ahead. I hope that you can hear me. I can't open chat to get any feedback as to whether you can or you can't. So, um, we're just going to have to wing it and hope that you can. Um, maybe, uh, let's see, we'll try to take, let me try to take a call here. 
All right. Dave, can you hear me? I hear you, Dr. Sean. Sorry, I'm on the razor's edge of being late here. No, I got you. No, no, no. It's it's we've had a total uh crash with the Blog Talk Radio system and my computer uh, is over its uh capacity at this point. It just can't it's it's old. It's an old MacBook Pro and it just can't do this anymore. It's overwhelmed. So you are there, the, folks. Uh, North Korean electromagnetic pulse that kills all computers in America is going to be a kind of a relief for you. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> oh man, I'm telling you. I am telling you. Well, you guys know that Dave Perkins, he's a great personal friend of mine. He's a, obviously a radio personality and host extraordinaire. Uh, he's been with The Blaze. Um, he's going to be, right after this show, he's going to be one, on our uh, other uh, good friend, Kevin Jackson's show on Fox Radio So uh, tonight at 6. So, you know, obviously your bona fides are tremendous, but the bona fide that really matters the most today is really where you live and what you're experiencing. And, and number one, our prayers from the Collision of Faith and Politics uh, and all the people listening all around the world, um, our prayers go out to you. We we are uh, sorry that this is happening. Um, obviously, there's nothing we can do about it, but we can help uh, any way that we can. So part of why I wanted to have you on uh, today, uh, I always want to have you on every day. I think you'd be a great segment. Um, you always have something powerful to say and worth hearing. Um, but today... Today specifically, um, it is it really comes down to what what is actually happening there. What what is going on? What are you seeing? What are you experiencing? Well, I'll tell you something. Uh, the high water on the northwest side where I live is receding, so that my area of travel is increasing by the hour, and I'm able to get out and mix with people. Today was my first day to be out and uh, shop for the shelters and go make my donations and go join volunteers. And the spirit in this community is off the scale. It's like a, a boiler of joy has boiled over and people are running around everywhere with the spring in their step and a smile on their face saying hi, everybody knowing they got their sleeves rolled up and they're all working for the same project, Dr. Sean. It's amazing to see the goodness and the good attitude and the effort and the smiles. This is, I tell people, like I write on social media, I tell people, this is America. America is not Charlottesville. America is not a couple of hundred fringe people balling up their fists and trying to be seen punching each other on television. That is an America. Mm -hmm. This is America. Nobody here is thinking or talking about race. Nobody here is thinking or talking about social divisions or political issues. They don't ask you what party you voted last year when they reach their hand out to pull you out of the water. That is off the table. Human beings are at the top of the list here in Houston. It's health, it's life, it's dignity, it's protection of the weak. It's all the same old, ancient, basic principles of good, decent human civilization that are on display here big time. I'm not surprised that in God's wisdom he visits disasters upon us from time to time because they do absolutely bring out the best in us like nothing else does. Well, it's it's, uh, and I'm going to talk about We have a guest coming on uh, after you named Aaron Conrad, and it only took him 10 years to become an overnight sensation on the Internet. But he's a great guy, great Christian man, uh, just a good dude all in all. And 
And w one of the things we're going to talk about is Texas strong. Texas, you know, every time I've been to Texas, I don't want to leave. And I know that sounds crazy, but I never want to leave Texas. I, uh, and, I'm not surprised. Very few people do. People people envy those of us who are here. And even even people that we don't want to come here, you know, like people who change the electoral balance, that sort of thing. They're they're drawn here and they're welcome in their way. Just got to... Got to change the voting habits from where you came from. Make sure that you're totally Texan before we're through adjusting your attitude. But <laughs> that's a shallow political concern of the kind I'm telling you they're not thinking about down here in Houston this week. This is a great display of how Texans really are. Well, it really is. So what is the situation now? As you've gone, you, I, I noticed that you were able to get out and about in the town. What is it that you're seeing? What is What's the condition there? Because on television, of, uh, donations. Horrible. I mean, well, it looks horrible. They've got all their basic places where the water stays high and keeps rushing. And and by now, even people who aren't familiar with Houston know the names. You know, Dickinson and League City and Katy and Cypress, and, and everybody knows the names of the areas where the water rises because that's where the water always rises whenever we get excess rain it's just kind of new levels new settings of the top uh, of the top level of, of standard for a flood that are happening around here now but the places that don't flood still aren't flooding so there's still a lot of places in houston where people are high and dry and able to concentrate on helping each other and getting out there rather than worrying about protecting life and limb of their own family and their own selves and boy are they ever doing that the business of helping is peaked. I drive down the highways in Houston, and what do I see? It's Wednesday, and today I saw more bass boats than I usually see on a Saturday morning headed north to the lakes. People are bringing their boats out of their garages and driving into the city to go see where they can put them in and go help save people. I saw a Chinook helicopter, big two-rotor military transport helicopter, landing at my tiny little neighborhood airfield this morning which uh, I happen to know is high and dry and the roads are good to it. And so I'm sure they're using it to uh, centralize supplies so they can transport them by air down to the needy areas. But all the same, this is where the little Cessnas go out of. And suddenly there's a big Chinook helicopter landing. It kind of represents, you know, the heartbeats of all the people that are around here making all these donations and, and rushing off to figure out how they can help. I've been talking to people in Dallas, people in, in uh, Midland, out in West Texas, putting together groups to help in various ways, bringing down trucks full of supplies. Texas is great. I don't ever want to leave. The things I'm seeing are absolutely lifting my heart and filling me full of joy here. And at the same time, we've got terrible things happening every day, and uh, the death tolls are being added to in in awful and creative ways. I just heard one man stepped into a hole in a yard while he was wading and the hole was some kind of electrical wiring thing, and he electrocuted himself underwater because he didn't know he was uh -huh. stepping on it. And uh, that's another guy on the death toll. Uh, a van drove off a road into a rapidly rising watershed and, and killed a lot of members of a family, and that almost doubled the death toll overnight down there in, uh, in the, the Normandy section of Houston, down east and south of I-10 and 610. And uh, a police officer has died here. He stuck his car under some kind of obstruction that he didn't know was there, trying to dash under a bridge before the water got too high. And uh, he didn't make it. His car got stuck, and he drowned while he was out serving and trying to help people. Longtime member of HPD, uh, a popular older guy that everyone is just broken up about losing. And his wife had begged him that day, please don't go to work. Please don't go out there. And 
you know, so the tragic yeah. stories are being told and the hearts are being broken, but at the same time, disasters forge people into better communities of better people. And man, do I ever see that happening here. It's awesome to see. How can we help? What what can our audience do? We, You know, we hear an awful lot of, uh, you know, I was really heartened to see uh, Sandra Bullock, who I happen to like as an actress. Um, she she just donated a million dollars to uh, the relief efforts. Now, I think she donated it to the Red Cross. I don't know, but I'm not a huge fan of that organization. But the fact of the matter is she's either. done it. She. <laughs> She's done something. Yeah, uh, J.K. And, uh, Watt, the uh, defense's end for the Houston Texans, is is busy. They just canceled the Texans-Cowboys pregame preseason game tonight, so they can the Texans can uh, stay home and help with uh, people and, and stay with their families and so forth. But uh, there are many millions yeah. of dollars coming into a lot of organizations. If you want my two personal favorites, the ones that are helping that I like best and that seem to do the best job are, of course, Mercury One which is uh, the operation run by Glenn Beck out of Dallas, which is a terrific charity group that really puts their feet on the ground and their hands on the people they're helping. And the other one is Samaritan's Purse, which is Franklin Graham, the Billy Graham organization. So either one of those, you want to send them money, you want to raise, you can uh, raise uh, donations and drop them off if you're anywhere down here in Southeast Texas at uh, a whole lot of collection centers to be trucked into the key areas. So all you got to do is just do a little internet browsing and figure out where to go. Take a bunch of clothes from your closet, go to Walmart, shop for baby stuff, you know, do what I did this morning, empty the shelves of toothbrushes and toothpaste and deodorant and body wash and all the things you know people are going to need that they're not necessarily thinking about while they're wading out of their house under duress. Just about anything you do is a yeah. good thing. But uh, the two the two key ways I want you to help if I have my way are Mercury One and Samaritan's Purse. And you can look up either one of those on the Internet and find out more. Awesome, awesome. Well, I appreciate that. How long do you think, you being there on the ground, how long do you think it's going to take for this water to – Assuming that another tropical storm or hurricane doesn't hit, um, what is the um, what is, what is the what do you think? I mean, how long are we looking at if if all the conditions are perfect for this to go away, this water to recede, and for us to be in a better place? Well, there's a particular problem that just revealed itself this morning. There are two western areas in Houston that are flood control areas called Attics and Barker Dams. They are earthen dams built ahead of low-lying areas so that when it floods, the water that accumulates in those areas doesn't all rush down the bayous into downtown immediately, but rather can be let out over time and controlled. And the northernmost of those two dams has gone into overflow, uncontrolled overflow from the emergency spillway for the first time in their 60-year history today. And they are running a whole bunch of new water down those bayous south of I-10, down through the Memorial area, Derry Ashford, Kirkwood Road, if someone's listening and knows where I'm talking about, there's a big watershed creek down there and a lot of homes and a lot of expensive homes, too. All the classes are are being hit by this, folks. Don't think it's just the poor and their standard low-lying areas that are getting whacked here. A whole lot of people live where the water is going, and they had no idea this was going to happen. You know, we're seeing 500-year floodplain insurance data tables being shot to heck by this whole process here. But the problem is those western spillways are open and uncontrolled, 
and they are adding to the water downtown, which therefore adds to the southeastern flow down to Trinity Bay. And Dickinson, League City, places you've heard on TV for a week are going to get hit again before this is over, as well as downtown itself. So the watersheds are having new water added to them that were held back successfully by the flood control mm. until now. So it's not going to go away as quickly as people think or hope it will. Once the flood controls themselves get back under control, I would say it'll be about a week, a week and a half before the roads get clear enough to drive. And then you have to evaluate them for damage. And there's going to be a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Well, I imagine the roads and the bridges are uh, really compromised. When it's that much water flowing, you know, at that rate, the volume and rate that it's flowing is, is just an extraordinary test on the engineering. And many of those roads and bridges are, are uh, old. They're, they're old and they're, uh, from an engineering that, perspective, out of date. Even a brand new bridge, even a brand new bridge with, uh, with mortar in joints that gets hit essentially by a fire hose every hour all day long, the mortar washes yeah. out of the joints and the structure gets weak. And, of course, the pillars are planted in soil that's designed to have X amount of moisture in it, you know, on average per year. And now the soil is nothing but moisture. And underneath the roadbeds, the surface that they built them on, the soil becomes moist and sponge-like. And so everything that couldn't move before can now move. And when vehicles and wind and, you know, more water current move it, the structures are fundamentally weakened. So, yeah, there's going to be sinkholes. There's going to be broken pavement. There are going to be other bridges that crash. We already had one bridge break on a road in the southeast of Houston near the area where that van went in the water because the water was so high. So I expect there will be some fundamental infrastructure revisions around here that are going to take, in the end, several years. But the first thing is to get rid of the water. I think it will be a couple of weeks for that. Yeah. Now, as far as the, the places where people are staying, I know you have to go, uh, but, but if you wouldn't mind indulging me in this last question, uh, as far as the places where people are staying, these, uh, I can imagine that there would be tens of thousands of displaced people. So where do all those people go? I mean, uh, I've never been, I've been in a shelter, you know, as a police officer and as helping some people out, helping find some folks, but I've never had to spend the night in one, you know. What's the I have there no idea. Many people here are asking the same questions. No idea. They just really, there's no forecast for life for 10,000 people in three or four buildings, a high school, a community center, whatever. There's no forecast for life for people who have left behind everything they own under 10 feet of water. There's just no way to know. It's going to take yeah. long-term charity, long-term linking of arms and joining of hands in the community, people reaching out to individuals and helping them on an individual basis. You know, it's going to test the capacity of the hearts of this town when the rest of the country will have moved on to the next disaster. And judging by what I'm seeing this week, Dr. Sean, we're up to it. This is one great city. I am proud to live here. Well, I definitely agree. I, I, uh, I'm proud of the city too. I'm, you know, I was, I'm very, you know, surprised and I shouldn't say surprised, but it is, it is fascinating and interesting to me that the, um, the looting didn't begin until as late as it did, and I think that it's being met with so much pressure from from inside Houston that uh, I don't think that's going to go on very long. I think Houstonians aren't going to tolerate it. 
Well, the good stories outnumber the bad by 100 to 1 here. Every now and then you hear something awful like uh, the Cajun Navy men from Louisiana came with their John Ross and set out into the rushing waters to rescue people. And all of a sudden reports are that they're being shot at and people are trying to steal their boats. And, you know, while I understand that under duress people behave in unpredictable ways and that that sort of thing on the fringe is definitely always a part of events like this you still your insides just quiver when you hear the actual story on the news and you go man i hope nobody gets hurt but it's such a small thing it's such a i don't want to say that to anybody who's had a bullet whistle past his head but generally in the headlines statistically it's nothing the something in this town is the way people are helping each other and the nothing is the fringe stories about looting and shooting you hear about one a day and that's about it yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm so proud of your people, uh, your fellow Houstonians, also the people of Louisiana. You know, I did a post today on social media where I said, and you shall be fishers of men and dogs and cats and, and you know, every other kind of living thing. Because uh, these these people in this Cajun Navy, I think what a lot of people don't understand, uh, you actually wrote something about the the smaller motors. Anything 25 horsepower and below isn't up to the ca- task for the current current. And I don't think people really realize that this water is is moving fast. It's it's a deadly current. And these Cajun Navy people, they have jobs. They have jobs and families to feed of their own, and they're coming by the thousands using their own resources, the gas to get there. Then they enter into tremendous risk personal life risk trying to rescue people and i i just think it's extraordinary and i i I have to believe that there's a special place in heaven for these amazing people and god bless them all well listen god bless texas and thank you for agreeing on such short notice to come on today i'm honored that to have you as as always i i just uh, think the world of you and i'm very blessed that you would take the time and i know our audience is very appreciative uh for you to come on i i just think it's I think it's extraordinary for you to take the time. So let us know if you um, if you uh, run up against anything that we can, anything specific that I can send out, uh, please let us know, and I'll send it out to our audience, and we'll we'll try to get everybody plugged in and involved as effectively as we possibly can. Roger that. God bless you, Dr. Sean. Thanks very much. Appreciate the time. All right, all right, brother. Stay safe. So there you have it, and and uh, you know, great guy, really, really great guy, in in a, an extraordinary circumstance. And you'll hear, you know, I know Dave. I've known Dave lots of years now, and I've known him. Uh, we have been involved in a common endeavor uh, for a long time, and and under the the greatest of stress, uh, you know, he is just always plugged in and ready to rock and roll. And and I think uh, that's an extraordinary thing. Listen, I know uh this guy's been on hold for a while and I don't want to uh I don't want to hold him up any longer than we have to. We have Aaron Conrad. Aaron, are you on the other line? I'm here, Dr. Sean. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Nice to talk to you. Hey, you're a ten year long overnight internet sensation. How about that? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't call it that, but yeah, it's uh, it's been an interesting week. <laughs> Well, I'm excited for you. I've had that happen to me on occasion, and and it is interesting uh, what happens. But and you know, and I and I want you to know, I reposted that, and I, how, folks, how we, um, how Aaron and I connected was, I happened to read 
a, a repost of what he posted. Thirty, uh, and I and, and I spoke about this in my message on Sunday. So go to the Ninja Pastor, even on this station, click on follow. You'll get all the list of my messages. And Sunday was a commercial-free um, sermon, and it was pretty powerful and pretty pretty tough. Who am I? Who are you? And um, but in that, I talk about thirty things. Uh, you know. A, a kid should learn how to do a boy rules for my son, you know, and, and I, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm in agreement with that, but here's the crazy thing. I got hooked into your website, kind of addictive, um, because your approach is very regular guy. I'm just trying to work, do my job, take care of my family. I'm not trying to be, you know, some superstar, my intent of doing this blog 10 years ago had nothing to do with being an internet star. I just, you know, I just wanted to be, wanted to put some stuff out there and let people know what we're dealing with. And so on that, you know, uh, you have a bent on leadership. You have a, you know, leadership, family, faith. Those are your key links at the top of your page. And so what I want you to do first, tell us about, tell our audience about you. Tell us about who you are, and how did you get to this place in your life? Well, uh, you know, first of all, I want to thank you for the opportunity. Um, like I said, it's been a it's been a whirlwind week, uh, and it all started a week ago today. Um, and and actually, let me let me hit pause really quick. I actually have family in Houston, so your first segment there, um, you know, hit home for me. I've got my dad and my sister uh, and my my in laws, uh, my my brother in law, my nephews and my niece are um, all all down there in. Um, Cyprus. So uh, they were they were oh, fortunate wow. enough to uh, to to be you know they everything's dry uh, for them. They but uh, my my brother-in-law and my nephew um, are both first responders, and so they have been working nonstop. So I'm really proud of them, and and uh, you know my prayers obviously go out to everyone in, in Houston and, and that area that was affected. So thank you for covering that in that first segment. But um, back to your question, um, you know, like you said, I, I really I never started off with. Uh, any kind of mission um, with the blog. I, I actually started way back on, you know, Blogspot or whatever it was called on Google, um, just kind of throwing some ideas out there. I mean, we're all, you know, there's no manual for being a parent. And so um, I was just sharing the journey of, of you know, failures and, and maybe a success here or there, but um, just having fun with it. Um, and it kind of grew and grew, you know, to the place of, you know, even considering, well, you know, maybe I should I put, should I put some ads on there. Should I um, you know, what, I don't know, we, we joked that it almost became like another part of the family, um, you know, and then life and time kind of, kind of, uh, just, you know, happened. And so over the last three years, I really have not done much with that. And, you know, some of it had to do with job changes and, and just life. So, um, but that's, I'm a, I'm a father of three. Um, I'm married, um, and have been happily for uh, 20 years now. So we celebrated that just a few months ago. And, um, you know, we live in Columbus, Ohio, and that's, that's pretty much me. Um, so the blog, um, just really, like I said, it was almost like another member of the family for a long time. And, and so I, it just kind of went to the back burner until literally about two weeks ago. And then it, it all just kind of things really just went a little crazy and happened. So, well, I, you know, it's funny. I'm from, uh, I'm, I'm from Delaware originally, uh, Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, but, uh, I will tell you this, interestingly enough, I lived in Columbus, Dublin, and then Marysville, uh, outside okay. 33 miles uh, 
west of Columbus. But uh, I lived in Dublin, and it was a great place to live. One of my best friends went to the Ohio State University, and so uh, I would come up and visit with him and go to football games and B-dubs and whatnot. So you have a great town there, no doubt about it. So what do you do for a living? What's your what's your thing? Like you go to work every day. What do you do? Um, so yeah, and actually, I'm a native Clevelander. We've lived in Columbus for about uh, about 20 years as well. So, uh, but I grew up in Cleveland. FYI, so that's my, wife, where my heart. My is. wife. FYI, my wife was born in Cleveland Heights and raised in Medina, and I lived in Medina nice. for I guess three years. Yeah. Well, yeah. That? Well, it's a small world. I, I love. I, yeah, I love Cleveland. Um, that's kind of what I call home, even though we lived in Columbus for uh, for 20 years. So, but uh, what I do every day is I actually sit in my office right now. I work for uh, Bo Jackson's Elite Sports. Uh, it's a 114,000 square foot air filled dome that sits in uh, what's a town called Hilliard, Ohio, just outside of Columbus. Yep. Uh, we inside the dome, we basically have three turf fields. We have an in, a full size major league infield so that. Uh, during the harsh winter months, um, kids don't have to go dormant. They can come inside and work on sports like baseball, softball, soccer, football, and lacrosse. Uh, we do sports performance training, and uh, yes, the Bo Jackson name is uh, that Bo Jackson. So uh, it's kind of a dream come true, and, and it's, uh, it's a great opportunity and a lot of fun every day. Well, I understand he's an awesome dude. Uh, he, is, uh, he, he is an interesting fellow, very talented in many, many ways. Uh, he's written some interesting things, and, and uh, so I know it's probably a, an amazing thing. One of the things that really interested me about who you are and what you do and, and how you do it, how you do life, which I thought would be interesting to the audience because, and I don't think you probably had time to, to know my story, but I was a pretty healthy, pretty vibrant man. I was just under 6'4", uh, I was 250, eh, I averaged around 255, 257. Uh, I wasn't by any means fat. I was an executive protection guy, owned a company, and uh, owned another business, small business, you know, nothing nothing big. And then uh, I was on my way home, uh, April 12, 2012, and I was struck head-on. I was going 51. The other vehicle was going 92. Struck me head-on. Uh, actually killed uh, a young man that I knew in the other vehicle. Didn't know that at the time, and killed me. And uh, I didn't stay dead, but I was trapped in the vehicle for about 40 minutes. They had to cut the entire left side of the vehicle off, and, and when they took me out, I was a mess, as you might imagine. But for whatever reason, I came back to life. Two firemen checked my vitals and declared me to be dead. So, um, you know, that is what it is. And, and, and I don't, you know, I'd love to say I had a near-death experience and that I saw something or heard something. And being a man of uh, really um, humble faith, I can just tell you, I, I wish that I did, but it's probably best that I didn't. But the point of all that is I'm left now in, in terrible, intractable chronic pain and dysfunction. I have a, a pretty serious brain injury. Uh, I broke 10 of my teeth, moved my jaw, um, shattered my left side, my left shoulder, uh, you know, all of my joints, my major joints, uh, traumatically dislocated, just a whole list of things. I could be the next hour talking about it. And you wrote a post February 23rd of 2016, because when I say I, I looked all over your site, I was stalking you hardcore. Um, <laughs> Joy, first of all, you're an, excellent, you're an excellent writer. Don't let anybody tell you that you're not, and I would think that you might think about compiling. Uh, I've written a book called Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, 
and uh, I think you'd be a great candidate to, to talk about the way that you think and the things that you think. Uh, but you wrote this, and I, and I really, uh, it's called Joy and Pain, folks. You, you, if you do nothing else, uh, copy this down, AaronConrad.com. That's A-A-R-O-N-C-O-N-R-A-D.com. And on February 23rd, uh, Aaron of, of 2016 wrote a post that really resonated with me and uh, joy and pain, and, and down a little bit you say, sorry, I couldn't resist the title. Pain sucks. If I'm 100% transparent, it's not the pain that bothers me. It's the fear that comes with the pain. Boom, mic drop. I've told my doctor on multiple visits, the pain won't bother me. I can deal with it. What I want to make sure of is that it's not killing me. Uh, I don't know why you would have owned seven Pontiacs. I, for a while I thought you were really, really smart, but then you bought seven in a row. First couple, maybe, I don't know. You know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me seven times, shame on me. But you did, you bought seven, and the same dreadful path. We all know the story when you own a Pontiac. Well, uh, you were told every time that the whatever, whatever engine will run you forever. Seven, every Pontiac had a multiple multitude of dashboard lights, and when you traded in or sold it, they were on. Uh, in every case but one, the car still ran pretty well beyond the normal age wear and tear. But then you start talking about uh, your pain. Now, you don't go into great detail on that, but you talk about pains. In this, in this post, are you talking about just the pain of growing older, aches and pains? Because you don't look that old. You have a pretty young family, so I'm pretty sure you're not old. But what type of pain are you talking about here? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, thanks for, for, uh, for pointing out that post as well. Um, you know, and I, I think I started that post or somewhere in there. I, a friend of mine reached out because he, had, he was having jaw surgery and was – and he's also very talented as well, um, KurtHarding.com, um, C-U-R-T, and just like it's spelled H-A-R-D-I-N-G-Y.com, um, is a very good friend of mine in Nashville that was having a, a jaw surgery. And so he was putting together a post for his blog and, and asked me for some feedback. And uh, we had shared, you know, stories of um, of just, you know, aches and pains and whatnot. And then uh, also a, a friend locally was kind of going through some some the same thing, you know, been to the doctor many times, couldn't really get to the bottom of what was on was going on. So uh, that that was really born out of that, and I hadn't written for quite a while, so that that one kind of went up for that. But um, I think for me, um, you know, and, and it, I th I think I did a post. Uh, there's somewhere in there. There's one called My Silent Pain, and, and what it was talking about was um, the doctor has told me fibromyalgia, um, and I you know. My mom had fibromyalgia, um, and I just I didn't want to buy that. To me, it sounded stupid. It sounded like it's just this. And I I, I mean, no disrespect to anyone that may have fibro fibromyalgia. Um, it's just you know, to me, it was like this big umbrella that they put stuff they couldn't find an answer for under. So you know, and like I said, you go to the doctor and you have you know pains and things, and some of it's age, but some of it's just unexplainable. Uh, you know, for fibromyalgia, it tends to be nerve pain that just won't go away and or it moves and radiates and goes different places. And so um, it can be maddening, you know, and nobody can see it. So it's not like you broke your arm, you have a cast um, on your arm and everybody goes, oh, yeah. wow, you, you know, you must be in pain. Um, so, you know, you're walking around every day, you look like everything's fine when, when really it's not and, and it's grinding. And, and um, so that's really what I was referring to there is just a lot of unexplained, um, you know, like I said, lights on the dashboard that, you know, uh, with the Pontiacs, you know, <laughs> supposedly they have these great engines, but seven of them in a row, you know, all the lights are on by the time you turn the thing in. And, and again, they're still running. So that's that was the point of the post was to say, you know, hey, it's, 
well, it's not killing me. I'm I'm good with it. I can deal with pain, but you know, you just as a as a dad and a husband, you want to make sure that it's not something that's far more serious. And so that's that's kind of what that post was born out of. Awesome, awesome. You wrote a post that also really touched me all the way back to 2014, the greatest lesson my dad ever taught me. And it was, you know, obviously right before uh, Father's Day. How do you possibly honor your father for all he has done, especially when you are a father now and know the requirements of the job? Today I wondered what the greatest lesson my father ever taught me was. The answer was simple, and it took very little thought. Before I get to the answer, let me give you some other thoughts. Now that I'm older and a home and an auto owner, Pontiac, one of the greatest (laughs) regrets is that I didn't pay pay closer attention when my dad would work on the house and cars. Amen. Uh, I was usually in the driveway shooting hoops at our garage while he was working away under one of our family vehicles. When it was time for home projects, I was most likely in my room impersonating a rock star or playing Atari. I never became a rock star, basketball star, or great video gamer, but I sure could use the knowledge I would have gained measuring, cutting, installing, and removing. I thought it was important to point out the teacher was always available. Sadly, the apprentice had other priorities. Thanks for always being willing, Dad, for still being a phone call away when I need need the help. So what's the greatest lesson I learned from my father? Three words. This is powerful, folks. If you hear nothing else, love your bride. To the best of my recollection, these words were never once said to me by my dad. He never sat me down and gave me this lesson. As I have learned as a father myself, the best lessons are caught and not taught. Dad loved his bride. Every moment and every opportunity, he honored his bride. My mom glowed because she was made to feel like she was the queen in his kingdom. When my mom entered entertained in our home, which was often, it was a big deal. Behind the scenes, in the kitchen, with an apron on, was my dad. He would wash dishes, prepare food, and make sure everything was as it should be. He supported her dreams and her spiritual gifts. He understood that when your bride is in her sweet spot in life, she radiates God's glory. Oh, now this next one. My mom had a crush on Kenny Rogers. He was fine with the crush, and every single time Kenny dropped a new album, she was the first to have it. The night or morning it came out, you would find my dad in a line at the store buying one for his bride. He taught me the little things mean far more than the big trips to extravagant places. I have a saying. It's a copyrighted saying, Aaron. It's little things don't mean a lot. They mean everything. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's really true there. In her final years, my mom needed constant care. While I have always respected my father, what I witnessed in the final years of my mom's life was an entirely different level. He bathed, tended, and provided for her every need. And as the song says, he walked her home. He taught me what in sickness and in health really means. I I have to say this, you know, the... First of all, that's a beautiful testament to your father and really to your mother. Um, but it's also a testament to your ability to go, you know, I screwed the pooch on this one. I, I I could have learned a lot more if I'd have been more connected, if I would have connected. But you did learn because your dad was an effective teacher. But the parallels here are extraordinary of our families because my mother is 87 years old. Uh, she's 24-7 oxygen, and my dad uh, went to his reward uh, several years ago from cancer. However... Prior to my dad getting sick with cancer, my mother uh, was terribly ill. She spent over 100 days in the hospital. Uh, it was just an awful, awful thing. And, you know, my dad, I mean, he was, 
he was a rough character. He was an alcoholic for most of his life. He wasn't the fluffiest guy in the world. He was a huge, scary man. And I will say this, though. When it came to his little tiny wife, my mom, he took, in, in the final years of his life, they became best of friends, and he took care of her much the same, anything she needed. He, she didn't even have to ask. He was ready and willing to do that. And I think that's one of the most powerful things. Whoever your love wife is, I'm telling you, men, that look, and, and neither Aaron nor I, I can't, I can't make the claim that I'm a good husband. I really can't. You know, to tell you the truth, I really can't make the claim that I'm a good person. That's, that's going to be for God to decide in the, in the final analysis. But I can tell you this, to be a good man, to be a good man starts really with those 30 things. Those, those 30 rules for your son. Now, I know that you, you copied that over uh, for it, from rules for my unborn son, and I love that. I love how you link that right at the start. Look, this isn't my thing. This is somebody else did this. But I wonder if we could kind of trip through this real quick. I don't know how much time you have. I, I, I didn't even ask you that. I was just like, be on my show. No, I'm, I'm, and you were like, okay. Yeah, no, I'm uh, – I'm, I'm great, and uh, you'll you'll love the fact that uh, the little boy that's in that picture is uh, sitting across the desk from me uh, at the moment, and he's about six two, uh, I don't know, two hundred pounds now. <laughs> he's uh, he's much larger than he was in that little picture. So <laughs> he's, uh, but you but looks, you know, he looks he's, like a big fella. You're 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 getting a workout holding that kid up. How old was he? In that <laughs> yeah, he's uh, but you know the um. To kind of go back, and, and again, thank you for uh, excuse me sharing that story um, about your mom and dad as well, and and uh, and that post. You know, I time's gone by, and like you said, that was probably I don't know three or four years ago. I think I wrote that, and and uh, I I even forget stuff that I put out there. So that kind of leads into what happened here, um, and just for the audience's awareness, um, that that post was written five years ago, um, and and two weeks ago I sat down with my wife, and I just kind of had this feeling like I said life happened the blog was literally just sitting there kind of just sitting there in in cyberspace um, not being used or, or updated or anything and about two weeks ago I, I said you know I think I might I don't know I think I might write again you know for, for just for something and so um, I think I put something on Facebook and I don't know there was you know the same kind of crowd the same people that maybe said they enjoyed it before you know liked it on Facebook and said oh you know welcome back and all this kind of stuff well I, I wasn't ready to kind of jump full in and so I put up a post um, on the first day of school which was a week ago last uh, week ago Monday um, that was an old post I just recycled it It was called six things my kids need for school and I just recycled that and it you know it got the typical you know whatever that it normally gets no big deal and again I'm not I'm not a traffic guy so whatever it's it's you know whoever needed to see it that day probably saw it and that's all that was important so uh, Wednesday rolled around and that that um, Rules for my son, and I really, I truly have no idea why I chose it. I just said, you know, that was kind of a good one. I think I'll throw that one up there again. So I, I posted it, and before I knew it, my phone, my uh, Apple Watch, everything was blowing up with notifications. And I'm like, what is going on here? Like, what what is happening? And I don't know, again, I'm not smart enough to know how it works, why it works, but somehow the thing went viral, um, and Facebook was was the primary driver of it, I think, because it just started getting shared and shared and shared. And, and it's such a powerful example of 
um, how quickly a message can get across a, a forum like a, a, a Facebook. And, and now Twitter seems to be kind of catching up to that. But um, it, it was unbelievable. And it's so funny because I, I didn't write it. And I've had, I've had posts written about me as an author writing it, um, even though it says clearly I did not. Um, and so I, you know, luckily I've actually heard from the author of the book since then, uh, and we've we've connected, and I hope he's getting all the sales and, and making a ton of money because he wrote a great book. Um, but that's kind of what happened. It was uh, it was it's been an interesting week, and um, I've, my favorite part is hearing from friends that saw it on a friend who doesn't know me's uh, Facebook page and things like that. It's been really cool and stuff like this. I mean, I again I I'm honored to be on here, and, and thank you for the opportunity to to make new friends, just make new connections. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's kind of funny. Our story, uh, in some respects, is, is fairly similar and in some other ways. And, uh, and I'll tell you how. Um, one, um, you know, well, I mean, right after the crash, I might as well tell you this. But why not? We're, we're close friends now. Um, <laughs> right. It wasn't a Pontiac, right after, was it? <laughs> right after, you know, it was not a Pontiac, neither one. It was a Dodge It was a Dodge Durango truck. I was in a Chevy Suburban. I was wow. in four days. I was going to protect Tim Tebow. And, um, and why he would need protection, he's one of the nicest, best people on the planet. But, you know, people that, that hate his Savior hate him, just like Jesus said would happen. They'll hate you because right. of me. And, um, and and Newt Gingrich, who I'd protected many times. And so I had just picked up my Chevy Suburban. Uh, it was all, you know, completely detailed inside and out, as I always do if I have a protectee that's going to be in the car, and uh, always slicked up, you know, re- really gorgeous. And I was coming down a bridge. I'd come down, you know, a bazillion times. And uh, a car was actually, they were actually uh, traveling at 107 or 109 miles an hour. They lost control. Uh, they yawed a little bit. They hit a huge median, went 48 feet, went into the air. They bounced once, uh, scrubbed down to um, 92 miles per hour when, when they hit me. That was the speed. I went from 51 miles per hour to zero in seven mm. feet. So unsurvivable. It was absolutely the unsurvivable, um, you know, completely the the unsurvivable crash. But But the bottom line is... Um, after that, you know, I'm a guy who would take on anybody. I mean, I was, you know, been all around the world, filled up a bunch of passports, some of the most dangerous places in the world. I've, you know, our tagline on executiveprotectionteam.com is when it's your life, we're your team. And so Hmm. all my guys were tier one, you know, tier one operators, SEALs, SEAL Team 6, Delta, Secret Service, CIA Protection Group. I mean, these are all sharp, sharp guys. And so we didn't protect chumps, you know, by any stretch. And so I went from being that guy who could really do just about anything. Uh, I think my son, you know, one time, <laughs> one time my son, you know, he got a little, he, he's a big kid. My son's a big kid. And, uh, but he, you know, he was starting to kind of feel his oats a little bit, you know, and he thought he thought he would come up behind dad in the hallway uh, down by the front door and the front closet at my house. And he would get dad in a in a some kind of uh, trap hold from behind. Well, I flipped him. Well, he didn't like mm. that. But later on, he kind of laughed about it. And he said, I didn't even see that coming. You know, that happened so fast. <laughs> so, you know, that was kind of my life. My life was put me in the worst possible risk. 
give me the most possible danger in, in, in that business or my other business. Do, what, do your worst, and I'm going to survive. I'm not going to quit. And so uh, I went from being that guy to being a guy who had to be walked, helped out of bed, and walked to the restroom, 10 feet to the restroom. Uh, I needed I needed help to brush my teeth. I needed help to eat. I needed help to do everything. I mean, it was uh, it was humbling and embarrassing, and uh, you know, I was mortal, but less than mortal even. And so, I'm laying there in my bed, and people are reading books to me to try to keep my mind active. We knew I bent the steering wheel with my mouth, uh, despite the. Um, despite the airbag, because at that closing speed, the airbag really means nothing. And so as a result, what ends up happening is we, I knew I had some sort of head injury and the, the neurologists were all saying, yeah, you, you got a head injury. All right. And, but I refused it. I refused to accept it. And I, I refused to believe that I had a brain injury. No way, no way. And I also refused, you know, I had to have my shoulder put back together and titanium plate put in and all that stuff. And they had to dig down into my pectoral muscle to get the pieces of bone that it literally exploded inside my mm -hmm. body. And so got all fixed up, was doing therapy, and I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'll be six weeks, eight weeks, I'm back to work. And I remember the first time I went, I went to, you know, went to do my work, and I had to sit down, and I had clients standing over me going, we need to call an ambulance. Are you okay? You're sweating profusely. You don't look good. And I said, no, I'm, I'm okay. And then I told them, well, I've just been in a, this car crash. As soon as I told them the car crash, they're like, oh my gosh, that was, we heard about that. That was terrible. What are you doing here? And, and I had told myself, no, I'm, I'm going back to work. Well, then the next great idea, and again, I had a brain injury. So hence the decision, the poor decision-making that I, I did there, I attribute to that. I decided, well, I'll write a book. That's how I'll take care of my family. I'll write a book because I was 80 to 90% of the income in the household. Self-employed. Right. I didn't have, you know, some automatic generating income stream going on. And so I was the income stream. So I said, well, I'll write a book. And I had written a dissertation, Mediocrity, the Bane of Mastery in American Industry. And I thought, hmm, I'll take my doctoral dissertation and I will make it into a book. I'll customize it. Well, again, <laughs> you know, it's dumb. Writing a book is not the path to money unless you're some famous person and you can pre-sell a bunch of books. Um, it's just it's just not a money-making thing. Uh, but I said, well, why not? I'm laid out. Why not do it? So I wrote much of the book. I couldn't write, and I could barely read, but I wrote it mostly with my voice. I used a, hmm. a, a speech-to-text program. And then where I couldn't, you know, my wife fixed me up and got all, you know, did all kinds of stuff, and she was busy trying to keep the wheels on the bus. Try not to worry me. I'm laying there. I can barely do anything. Um, suffice it to say, you know, here I am in this really, really terrible place trying to figure out, well, what the heck do I do now? And uh, I went down to Florida to help a friend out. And this was, this was, you know, a long time after the crash. Went down to help a friend out. And while I was there, I uh, shared my book with somebody. That person happened to be, you know, an extremely wealthy person. And that person said, wow, this book is a life changer. Um, and, you know, I want to fund a book tour and, and do all this. Why are you just carrying these copies of this book around? You you need to be on the road. And I said, well, I'm, I don't have – I was a self-employed guy that now can't work. So 
so she funded it. She said, let's, let's do this. And so we did. And, um, I was doing radio and TV and all that stuff. I have a face for radio, but they made me do TV. And so <laughs> what ends up happening, Aaron, is in the process, people kept saying, you need to have your own radio show. You need to have your own radio show. You're meant for this, blah, blah, blah. And eventually I did. And, and when we debuted the show on a different network, we debuted at 114,000 live listeners. And the CEO of the – I thought I did something wrong. The CEO of the network called me at the end of the show and said, uh, yeah, that went well, like that. And I thought, yeah, uh, you know, I, look, I've never hosted a show. I've been a guest. And so, I, you know, I'll get better. And he goes, no, no, no. You just had more in your debut show with zero marketing. You had 114,000 live listeners. And I wow. said, is that is that good? Or, you know, <laughs> I, I had no contact. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so now we're, we're up over we're up over uh, 1.5, 1.8 million on a given day, and and that doesn't translate to wealth because you know unless people donate, uh, they go to the ninjapastor.com and click on donate, uh, which several of the people in chat have done. That's awesome. We do it. Uh, you know, I'm disabled now, so we do it on our dime. And I have to thank my wife and and my son because they support it and. You know, they sacrifice greatly in order to do this. And so, I, you know, I have to say, you know, your 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 blog going viral like it did. Um, by the way, my son just uh, sent me a message. I still attest that you cheated in the uh, – what it was is, I, you know, I'm always armed. And I told him in that thing, right? <laughs> I said, hold on, hold on, hold on. I've got my gun on. Let me put my gun down. So I put my gun down, but literally a split second later, he was on the ground. So, but we don't telegraph what we do if we want to do it effectively. So, but he's right. he's awesome kid. I'll tell you, I'll tell you. Yeah, uh, kudos like to my son. My my wife had to go uh, back to work. She had a little cleaning business, and and uh, it was nothing big. It was just her and and another lady, and and it was small time. I mean, it was not a big deal. And so um, she had to work. I mean, she she had to work. It's just the reality mm -hmm. of it. She hated to leave, but my son, uh, when this happened, he had a severely broken, a terribly broken leg, shattered leg from a football injury from a championship football game he was in. And so he'd had surgery on it once. He was supposed to have surgery that Friday. The crash happened on a Thursday. That Friday he was supposed to have surgery again. And, um, you know, that ended up being delayed. But, but he was my primary caregiver. He made my food. Mm -hmm. He cut it in a tiny amount. He made sure I drank because I have no idea if I've eaten or not eaten. I don't have that satiation or, you know, I don't, I don't have any of that now for my brain injury. And I have no concept of time, how long time is from here to here. I just don't know. So 4.30 would roll around in the afternoon. And I'd be like, man, I'm busy, you know, and it's because I never ate anything. So he took over yeah. and, and he made sure I ate, made sure I drank. I choked really badly. So I don't have a sensation of different textures in my mouth like i i'll swallow i haven't even chewed it yet so that's mm. a problem and right so he really uh he really he really protected uh he really protected me took great care of me it was absolutely awesome just a stunning stunning kid and so this rules for my son I, i'll just confess to you you know i said you know i don't think i'm a, i don't think i'm a great man i don't think i'm a great father i don't think i'm a great husband um at all i mean i i know that i'm not and and part of in Sunday's message, when I talked uh, on Sunday to our Kehala and the audience around the world, um, 
it was the most exposed I have ever been. It, it was the most vulnerable I've ever been in a message, and I felt like it was really time. And I quoted, I don't know uh, if you know this guy, but Jason Crabb, used to be the Crabb family, and Jason is out on his own now, and he, and he wrote this and sings this very powerful gospel song, and I, I love gospel music, So, but it, it goes like this. I'm not on an ego trip. I'm nothing on my own. I've made mistakes and often slipped. I'm just common flesh and bone. But I'll prove someday just why I say I'm of a special kind. For when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. He knew me, yet he loved me. He whose glory makes the heavens shine, so unworthy of such mercy. For when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. A look of love was on his face, the, crowns, the crown of thorns upon his head. The blood ran down that sacred face. Its stain was crimson red. But his eyes were on the crowd that day. Jesus looked ahead in time. For when he was on the cross, you and I were on his mind. And I talked about, right before I announced that you were going to be on my Wednesday radio show, I talked about Yeshua, or Jesus Christ, could do that for us because he knew who and whose he was and is. He knew who we were are and part of part of that show part of the uh the sermon on the sunday was really to lead up to today but i had to reveal a lot about personal struggles and stuff about myself in order for them uh the audience both live and around the world to to really get the point here so walking through these rules for my son i realized you know i've i've really failed him in many respects, and my daughter as well. My daughter's in Atlanta at a veterinary medical school at University of Georgia, go dogs. And, uh, you know, I failed both of them. And, and reading over this list, I, I look at it and I think to myself, because, because the title of today's show, Aaron, is Heal Our Land, Heal Our Hearts. Um, and because of what's going on in Texas, it's just, it's it's crushing. It's crushing, and in fact, I I saw I did a Facebook Live um, today, and and I talked about this guy on Fox News, who he's a, he's a young dude, and he's out there right in the middle of it, and you can see this kid, uh, the linear stress that this young man, as a reporter, is facing and dealing with and taking into his body is like being in a war zone, and he's right. really struggling. He's bucked he's bucked up against it hard, but he's He's struggling. He's hurting, and he's suffering, and he needs somebody to come alongside of him and say, "Hey, buddy, you're doing a good job. Take some deep breaths. You know, get some food, get some rest, and then let's get back after it. You can do this thing." And I and I'm and I'm praying that he has a dad that calls his cell phone and says, "Son, don't forget to wash your hands more. Don't forget to take your wet shoes off and dry out your socks. You know." You know, keep yourself clean. That water's dangerous. You know, all these different things, just to remind them that you can do this, and, and and just little reminders. And so, Aaron, I didn't know if you were willing. We'll go through a couple of these. Uh, never shake a man's hand sitting down. And one of the things I talked about is the governor of Texas is paralyzed, and mm-hmm. but I've never seen a man in a wheelchair stand so tall. I mean, what a what an honorable honorable man. This this governor. I mean, he's He's something special. And the way he's leading and instructing, and I was telling my son the other day, he was doing a press conference, I thought, my goodness, this man has got it together. You know, and he's never ever looked at his he's never ever looked at his uh disability as 
uh, wow, I really got screwed over in life. This is, I got the short straw. And so never shake a man's hand sitting down. And, and, and I think that's very simple, but it's also very, uh, very true. And I reflected on when people would come visit me, you know, I was in a bed. I was, you know, I, I couldn't get up. And so I would try to shake their hand. I had shrapnel in my arm and, you know, again, it was nasty. It was a mess. And, and I wanted to stand up, but I couldn't. So I had to shake their hand sitting down. But as a, you know, you, you talked about your son being, you know, 6'2", 200 pounds. And, you know, that's a big kid. That's that's a big kid. And so I think uh, it must be just so cool to raise your kids. I mean, I, I, I remember, I, I say this to people, and I know they think I'm a creeper, but I'll see somebody with a little baby, and I'll look at them, and maybe they're complaining a little bit. Ah, oh, pain in the neck. And I'll say, you know, in a blink, in a blink, your child is going to be grown and gone. I encourage you, take in, drink all of this in because they're going to be gone. And you're going to look back on this time and you're going to wish that you were fully and completely here. And as a man, Aaron, I don't know, you know, the story you wrote about your dad, I think is is really, really touching, really, really touching. And I'm sure he's very, very proud of you. Um, Thank you. But the shake, well, it's, you know, truth doesn't really have to hurt. Never shake a man's hand sitting down. What does that What does that mean to you? What, is there something more behind that for you? Because there is for me. No, I think it's a, it's about respect. Um, and that if you if you read that that and I, I'm really not trying to plug other posts, but um, uh, the the six things my kids need for school. One of them is respect. I think it might be the first one that I put. Um, and that's not that um, that they need their respect. They need to respect others. And I think. Um, and, and again, you know, your circumstance, I actually had somebody reach out to me and said, what if you're in a wheelchair, you're not able to do that. Uh, and I, you know, again, I, I didn't write those, but they, they spoke to me. And so, um, you know, I, I certainly understand there are circumstances where you can't, but I think ultimately what it is is a sign of respect. If, if someone walks in a room and you go to shake their hand, it's just a sign of respect um, to me um, to just, you know, to make that, that initiative to, to reach out and shake that hand. I've, I've you know, heard people talk, talk about, even as far as you extend your hand uh, to shake another person's hand, people that hold it close maybe aren't as uh, welcoming. You know, those kind of things. To me, it's just a sign of respect and that you're welcoming that person into uh, the moment with you is really what that meant to me. Yeah, I like that, and, and it's true. And I think society today, you know, we're, we're uh, our group of men, uh, by and large, I think um, in our society we – you know, there's there's kind of wusses, and and being a man has really a, a real man, being masculine, being strong, uh, being confident but kind, not being a bully. I think it takes more uh, more manliness, more honor, more dignity to stand up to a bully than it does to be a bully. I, I think that bullies are. I I I used to be a really thin, skinny, small guy, and when I was a kid, and and uh, people tried to bully me. I was a black belt in karate at a very, very early age, and people didn't know that. I didn't advertise that. And I would walk away, walk away, walk away until finally it was time. I think in fifth grade there was a kid that was just a terrible, terrible bully. And finally it was time to take him on, and no fanfare, no big deal. And then I leaned over, and I told him, and he's on the ground, and he was trying to catch his breath. I said, listen, you keep living your life like this, and this is not the beating you're going to take. You're going to find yourself <laughs> dead in a in a, in a 
in a gutter somewhere, and it won't be worth it. Do something with your life. And I was a weird kid at fifth grade, of course. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but but that resonated with me, and I thought, man, why? We don't we don't teach we don't we don't teach our sons to be men. So your next one is there are plenty of ways to enter a pool. The stairs ain't one. I love that one. I know that the other guy wrote this, but I love that one. I love that he wrote that because you know what? Uh, I've jumped out of lots of airplanes, lots of times. I've I've had some adventures in my life, and I've loved it. Um, I've beat my body up bad. I've you know obviously uh, maybe I should have been a little more careful, perhaps in retrospect, but I have the memories, you know. And one of those I remember before the crash. Now, if I get in water now and it's cold, uh, I can have a heart attack or a stroke. Uh, if I oh, yeah. if I get in too fast because of my brain injury, your brain your brain is a fascinating thing and it controls so it controls everything. Well, part of my brain that was damaged, temperature modulation and all that. So I go into seizures and uh, actually my blood pressure goes to unsustainable levels and all that. I have to get in very slow, but when I was younger, prior to this crash, I just jumped in. I looked to see how deep the water is, and let's let it rip. Let's see what. Let's make a splash here. Um, and sometimes that's how life is. I mean, it, it's analogous to life. Sometimes you gotta. You can't be ready. Aim, 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 aim. You gotta fire. You gotta decide. Okay, it's time. Let's get wet, folks. And I think nowadays men in this world are just, they're afraid to. It's everything's got to be a sure thing. We've got to know. We've got to have 100 backup plans. Sometimes it's not that way. Sometimes you've got to take the risk. What do you think of that? What you yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, I, it's funny when you said it. Um, you know, uh, Austin and I just looked at each other and we got a big smile on our face because I think I probably said that around the pool before. <laughs> Um, and, and, you know, it, it touches on some of the things you said. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not going to claim to be a good dad or husband or any of those things. And, and the song that you, you know, mentioned, it brought to mind one uh, by a guy named Michael English in the song where he says, you know, the only thing that's good in me is Jesus. Um, and that's, I think that's pretty fair. And if you know Michael English's story, it's even more powerful. Um, yep. But, uh, you know, yeah, I think I've that's a quote that, yeah, so you know his story and, and, you know, him saying that the only thing good in him is Jesus. I mean, I, I think I would agree with that. I, I can't claim to be – I'm not – there's actually, again, not plugging posts, but there's one called I Hope You See Jesus where I – you know, you talk about being very um, open and vulnerable on Sunday. Um, that that was a post where I really – I don't know what drove me to do it, but I, there was such a response from guys afterwards saying, man, I – you know, that thing hit me hard. Um, and that's – you know, that's that's what I try to do on the blog and, and – the whole point of that is I think when we get to the pool, not just the pool, but in life, you got to step into it. I mean, there's there's people who think I'm crazy for trying some of the things I've done. Um, and sometimes they work out and sometimes they don't. But, you know, I don't I don't know. Uh, you know, it's you, there's so much more to, to uh, so much more to just try. And, and, you know, the things that the fear that holds us back keeps us back from from life a little bit. So, and again, I've done some stupid things um, that, that didn't work out so well, but I've had a great life. Um, you know, I've told my wife many times if I you know I wake up in the morning man I've I've lived and and honestly have no regrets um you know for for the for the the risk that I took um I have a lot of regrets in life but not necessarily for the risk the risk that I took because you got to just jump in um you know if if you it's just I don't know the the bigger point of that was just you got to step into it um and to see where life takes you yeah I agree I agree um, there's a few more that really mean a lot to me. Uh, don't let a wishbone grow where a backbone should be, and that kind of dovetails into, you know, jumping in. I think sometimes 
like I alluded to a moment ago, uh, in, in the, the crop of men that are being raised and being educated in all the way from kindergarten all the way up now, it's all about, um, I, I, you know, I've done shows on this, so, and I have a, a counseling background and all that. I I don't believe that pink or peach-colored shirts with an anti-bullying phrase on it is the way to stop a bully. I just, I don't believe it. I, I don't think it stops bullies. I don't think it stops our enemies in general. I'm not a huge fan of the, you know, when there's a terrorist attack. I'm not a huge fan of some big march. We won't let terror win. Uh, I don't like the, the little bears and the flowers and, you know, and the people, you know, Paris strong or I'm with Paris or whatever. And it's not that I don't like the sentiment. I like the sentiment, but as a, a terrorism and counterterrorism expert, I can tell you that our enemy that we're fighting now, they laugh at that. That's, that's a, that is a, a, a weakness to them. They look at that and they say, look at all this. You know, if we, if we went in with a couple of even small bombs into this group of people that have gathered here and we can get them in, we could kill hundreds of people. While they're walking around with their little candles, we could kill hundreds of them. And so that's that. But that's obviously a 30,000-foot view. But the wishbone growing where the backbone should be nowadays, and, and you know, people will say, look, you know, man, what is it with all the men talk all the time? The men talk. What are you doing? You know, what about the women? And I love women. I, I think women are the greatest gift given to man. I also believe that women the wrong woman or treating the wrong woman the wrong way or engaging with the wrong woman can devastate your life i think it can it can ruin you and if you don't know who you are if you've got a wishbone instead of a backbone you'll fall for it you'll fall for it i'm writing a book now uh called um fraudulent living and i talk a lot about how people put on they um when you're dating i'll give you an example uh, when you're dating, you know, the, 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 the lady shaves her legs and makes sure she's all, you know, slicked up and she watches what she eats and she's this and she's that. And the dude, he's, you know, brushes his teeth more than once a day. You know, he makes sure he's shaved. And, well, modern day, they don't do any of that. But, um, but, but in my day, in my day, back in my day, I'll tell you, young man, you know, when, when I, I'm 52, in my day, you know, you did. You you put on your you put your best foot forward. You know, you try to look nice, be clean, and you know where your clean your clothes be, should be clean, and you look good. You know, clean up your car if you have a car. You know, don't put a don't put a girl in that you want to impress in a in a messy car. You know, come on. And, um, well, and I, I think you know. And sorry, I mean, I think some of those those points was just chivalry um you know i mean we, we've kind of lost the yeah. art of that opening the door um you know i had somebody one of the things and you know god rest her soul my mom taught me was uh opening the door i remember she used to you know we oh, yeah. she wanted me to understand how to go on a date so she would take you know we would go to the theater or something like that or a movie and you know she would say hey you got to walk on the outside on the street side and let your you know date walk on the inside i mean that, you know those things are simple and i don't do them all the time i can't claim that i'm this awesome you know uh guy that, that it comes to that but i know there you know that I, I try to and i try to remember those things that she taught me and, and my dad taught me as well i mean um you know, I, I think that those things are still there, and and you know, uh, one of the best books I read that really challenged me was um, Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. 
um, that that took yeah. places. Yeah. You know, that took me places I wasn't prepared to go. Reading it alone, I, I recommend reading it with a group of guys that you can really kind of talk through those that process with. But uh, that was an awesome book, and it just talks about you know we all need that um, beauty to fight for, a war to battle, you know, a war to um, a battle to fight, um, and a princess to rescue kind of thing. And I, it's a great book, and, and it really yeah. taught me a lot about what we've kind of gotten away from, um, too much to what you're talking about. It's funny, uh, a Medina memory in Medina, Ohio. Uh, when I first married my wife, you know, she lived in Medina, and, and I was part of a church plant called Connection Church. And I, I'm not absolutely positive if the church still exists. I know the preacher's leaving or something, but it grew to be like 200-plus people out of nowhere. I used to meet in a, a theater, and and uh, the saying used to be, this ain't your daddy's church. And uh, But one of the things at, at the men's group, the women used to be really jealous of the men's group because the men's group was this ragtag bunch of guys. I mean, we had a bunch of guys. And, and this one guy uh, named John, he had this beautiful home, but he had a huge backyard. And I'm just going to fess up to this. We burnt furniture. I mean, we would burn anything that burned in the bonfire, and we would call it we called it around the fire. And so people would bring wings or whatever, you know. I mean, it's, we didn't eat healthful at all. I mean, it was it was definitely not a health gathering. Um, but we would, it, it, and and it was supposed to be like an hour, but it was never an hour. It was always in late at night, and you know, you know, living in Ohio, it gets cold in the winter. You would think that we wouldn't meet around the fire but we did no matter how cold it was and and we always held each other accountable and so we did this study uh wild at heart uh the one you just talked about and i'm telling you it was gripping it was gripping and you talked about you know you're not always you don't always like your mom taught you you know sometimes you don't remember to get the door sometimes you your hands are full and you don't remember to hold you know any of those things they happen but in that uh i remember watching men's faces kind of go crestfallen. And some of these men were tough, tough men. I mean, they came to Christ in a church that was by no means a normal church. And, you know, they were in a rough place. And and Jesus came to them right where they are. And they, so they were new, new Christians that had no knowledge of church or any any of those lessons you think. And some of them didn't know who their fathers were. Their fathers were alcoholics or drug addicts or whatever. And didn't have a good relationship, didn't have any relationship with them. So they never got those lessons. And reading that book was like, whoa, I'm supposed to do this? And one of the things that we talked about in that is number 14. Carry two handkerchiefs, one in your back pockets for you, the one in your breast pockets for her. And uh, I remember saying to a young man uh, one day, I said, you know, you have a handkerchief? Because his girlfriend, we were out near the mailbox, and his girlfriend was crying. And I didn't know what was, what was wrong. I, I didn't want to ask that. But I said, hey, you have a handkerchief? Or a, or a tissue or something. He goes, no, why would I have that? And so I reached in my pocket and gave her a tissue. And he's like, how did you happen to have that? I said, I always have. I have one for me and one for a lady that needs, you know, she's crying or whatever, sneezes, whatever, you know. And But but young men, they're not learning these lessons now. And, and it's up to us, you know, whatever time we have left with our kids, we've got to teach them that. Uh, one of the ones, tell you what, uh, it's a whiny society. Men have been encouraged to cry. Uh, they've been encouraged, and, and then it ends up being a boohoo fest. My lands. I counsel people, and I can tell you, some of the women will come in and they'll say, "You know, I like the guy. He's a good-looking guy. He's got a good job. He's smart." 
but he boohoo's all the time. I mean, he cry. I don't mind crying a little bit, but he boohoo's all the time. And uh, there's this thing called pseudo pseudo pole bar effect (PBA), and you can get that from having a brain injury. I have that now. So I'll when I'm worshiping, I worship by myself. As I'm writing sermons, I'll go into a, a, a I don't want to say it's a trance, but it's certainly a meditative prayer-like experience, which is not meant for anybody really to see. And I'll have music on, or I'll be praying and worshiping, and, and you know, God will humble me. I mean, he will humble me with a, some sort of realization, and, and, and I'll, it'll make me cry. It'll make me, you know, but when you're, when you're with your lady and you're with the kid, you can't be boohooing all the time. You, just can't, <laughs> right. you can't cry all the time. You know, right. once in a while, cry at a funeral, cry when somebody's sick, cry when, you know, your something happens to your dog, but, man, you can't cry all the time. They need you to be strong. Absolutely. So, no, anyway, I, I, not for, right. yeah, you can jump in at any time, by the way. We don't we don't have any rules here. Um, <laughs> no, I agree. Of, That's uh, of, this is very simple. In a game of horse, sometimes a simple free throw will get them. Now, what that speaks to is, look, don't look for some super tough thing. Get good at the basics, fundamentals, the basics. I had a friend of mine uh, whose daughter was a really great athlete. We're not friends anymore, but um, her daughter was really super skilled. I mean, had just such tremendous skill. And but, but went into a sport, went into several sports, didn't even know how to play. And because she was just such a good athlete, she got very – uh, she rose quickly to one of the top athletes on the team, but lacked in fundamentals. The whole team lacked in fundamentals, but lacked in those basics, lacked in those fundamentals. And I said, man, you got to work on these fundamentals. The fundamentals, you got to find a way to teach them the fundamentals because the fundamentals are key. And sometimes in a game of force, I don't know if you guys all know what that is. There's people that listen from other countries, and I say stuff. A guy from Finland asked me funny questions um, a couple of weeks ago about references I made. He's like, what's, the, what's this that you're saying? I don't know what this is. Uh, but the game of horse, you know, you get points and you get a letter. And so you shoot a basket. If you make it, the other person has to match it. If they miss it, they get a letter. You know, until you get the horse, the person who gets the horse first, spells horse first, they lose. Um, but sometimes it's the simple things. you got to get the basics, get the basics down. And the simple things, the fundamentals, aren't as much fun. They're not flashy. They're not flashy, but you got to do them over yep. and over and over till you got it down pat. Yep, absolutely. I want you to tell me, when you read 22, try writing your own eulogy, never stop revising. What's that mean to you? Try writing your oh, own man, eulogy. Oh, man, I think, yeah, there's so many powerful ones in there. And in his book, again, I'm not plugging it for him, because for, he's, he's, he's Hopefully he's done very well uh, the last week or so. Um, and just to update, that that post has had 4.1, almost 4.2 million views in a week, um, which just blows my mind. Cool. Uh, if I was thinking about it this morning, if everybody sent me a quarter that read it, um, yeah, I'd be in pretty good shape <laughs> right now. But um, yeah. or even a dollar, uh, even a dollar. But but that's okay. I hope they send them all to him. He wrote it, uh, and, and absolutely, he deserves all the credit. But that one was really powerful in that you know I think it goes back to what I said a minute ago. Like if I don't wake up in the morning, or God forbid, I'm driving home and I don't make it, um, I lived, you know. And and I think you constantly have to, you know, don't just settle, you know. It, I guess. Um, especially as a dad, I, you know, I don't know, with my kids, you know, there's new dances and new stuff all the time. I'm, I'm trying to keep up with what they're, they're doing and, and be actively involved in their lives. Um, and, and yet still, you know, 
not being their friend, being their parent, but still being actively involved in their lives, if that's even possible. But I, I think that's it. I mean, I, I, you know, just step into everything and opportunity that you have in life and, you know, just don't settle. Keep Be brave to try new things is, is I think, what I take away from that. Um, that's one of my favorite ones. And I, I don't want to jump the shark. I, I think the other one that um, is probably one of my favorite ones is that if you want to make, in, I, I may not be reading it right, but uh, um, if you want to make you unique, sit for a caricature. Um, I, I love that because I think it's so funny that the, yeah, the guys too. that draw those, you know, um, they will pick out that thing that you may not know, <laughs> may or may not know makes you unique. For me, it'd probably be some uh, some ears that look like car doors open on the side. But um, I, I just think it's funny. I think it's great, and uh, that was one of my favorite ones too. Yeah, that's number 24 if you guys are reading along. Uh, if you want to know what makes you unique, sit for a caricature. Um, I wrote something this week that uh, has kind of taken some legs. The most dangerous and deadly drug isn't heroin or meth. It's loneliness. Mm. Loneliness is the most dangerous drug in the world. Loneliness is the ultimate gateway drug. Drugs may be the termination, but loneliness is the inspiration. Loneliness contributes to the most devastating decisions and choices a human being can make. And I wrote that because uh, I've really been thinking about, you know, the gap. This this drug situation is is horrible. All these overdoses, and and I have a, a very dear friend who lost her daughter. Her daughter, uh, you know, as a result of my crash, I had to have these special braces for three years. I had to, excuse me, go every six weeks. And this young lady, 23 years old, uh, her name is Katrina. She took care of me, and we became so close. Some people think it's weird that she and I became as close as we did, but she told everybody I'm her favorite patient. She told me, I was told her mother, told everybody, yeah, that's my favorite patient. I can't wait for Dr. Greener to come. And I always gave her a hug and, you know, a real hug, not one of those little, oh, it's so good to see you. Yeah, good. Okay, hurry right. up. And I spent about 45 minutes with her every six weeks. Yeah, it was a real hug, and I really cared about this young lady. And I started to notice the last three months that I was going there, she was she was not her normal excellent self. She was wearing a jacket, and it wasn't that chilly in there. She was making mistakes. Uh, her skin was broken out, you know, and, and it turned out that she was addicted to heroin. And hmm. I, I didn't know. Until the end, I started to suspect, and I even asked her. I said, honey, can I just ask you something? I don't want to invade your privacy or, or assume more familiarity than I have, but I care about you, and something's clearly wrong. Is there something I can help you with? And she kind of looked at me, and her eyes got all glassy, and she said, no, I'm good. I'm just not feeling well. I've been fighting a cold. And I said, okay, but if you ever need to talk, you have my number. Text me. We'll talk. We'll meet. We'll chat. And she says, I know. I know. I like you so much for that. Thank you. And then uh, a couple of weeks later, I, I get a call from another dear young lady at the practice, and she said, Dr. Greener, have you heard? And I said, heard what? I thought it was strange. She was calling me on a Sunday morning. And I said, heard what? And she said, oh, my goodness, you don't know. And I said, no, what is it I need to know? She said, Katrina is gone. Katrina's died. And I said, what? What happened? She says, well, I think you better excuse me, I better not tell you. I think it would be more appropriate for her mother to tell you. So, of course, I went right over and 
and her mother told me that, you know, she died of a heroin overdose in her bed. Um, and I've really been thinking about that. You know, the drug situation is just out of control, but it's really not, that's not the epidemic, Aaron. We, we're, 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 we're failing, not just our kids. There's, there's grown folk. There was a husband and wife that were pilots. And I think it was in Ohio. A husband and wife were commercial pilots. And they both overdosed on something, and they killed them. Uh, mm-hmm. Young, you know, seemed like they had everything. I, I, it's it's that's yeah. a symptom. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I mean, Ohio has one of the highest rates, if not the highest rate. Um, um, you know, and it, it is. I mean, it's an epidemic, um, and, it, and it may or may not be related at all. But I, I think to your point of loneliness. You know, and, and I'm not railing on social media. I love social media at times, uh, and I think some of it, you know, but I think we live in a selfie social social media society where we're constantly, um, you know, supposedly more social, and yet we're probably never more alone than we've ever been um, it, because yeah. we crave, you know, we crave the attention. And, and I again, I'm not – I I'm as bad as the next guy, but um, where, you know, it, it just – I think – that that is is also to your point about loneliness. It's so funny because we've never been more social, and yet we've probably never been more lonely. Um, to where you know we see things that other people are doing and feel like, well, we're not doing that, we're not achieving that, our family's not as pretty, we're not driving the same car, we're not eating in you know great restaurants. I mean, whatever it is, it's just so. While it's so um, addicting and fun, it's also got this like backdoor element that you're not realizing that it's also depressing. Um, and so, and it's as addictive as anything else. And I think that can lead to, not that that leads to drug use is not, certainly not the, the tie I'm trying to make at all. But to your point about loneliness, I think um, it's just interesting to me that I think that's very much the case. And especially with our kids and with teenagers, um, seeing, you know, their friends out or their friends with other friends and they're not there, um, you know, that leads to that loneliness or that, those things, and, or depression and suicide and all those things that we see at such a high rate now with, with um, teenagers. Well, I agree. I agree 100%. And, and the thing is, is I look at, um, and, I, and I share your concern about social media. I, I too, have looked at it and thought, um, and, and, and I will tell you, it's, it's not just kids that it impacts uh, because, and, and this will shock a lot of people, but I spend a lot of my time just me and my dog now. My mm-hmm. family's, you know, elsewhere. They're doing their thing. Well, I never used to just be sitting at home. I was, you know, 10 to 16-hour days were regular for me to be out and working and around people and doing productive things. Well, I'm disabled now. I mean, I do photography and, and all of those things, but I have to tell you uh, – <laughs> I just have to tell you, it's it's one of those things that when you're alone a lot and you're on social media a lot, because I've tried to find a way to be useful, uh, to do things, useful things. I still travel around the country and speak when I'm invited. I'm glad to go anywhere. Uh, all people really have to do is cover my expenses, and I'm happy to come. I'm happy to help any way I can. But the fact of the matter of it is I spend a lot of time alone, and loneliness it, it just occurred to me, loneliness is a dangerous thing, and people will try to assuage the loneliness with social media. And and I just read where uh, a friend of a former friend, their niece just over, overdosed, comes from a good family. I mean, this 
this young lady, beautiful, stunning-looking young lady, uh, comes from a good family and, and a good place and, and all of this, had, a, had the whole world going for her. Uh, and, and she just overdosed on heroin and died. And yeah. and it's a stunning, stunning thing, 16 years old. And you look at that and you find somebody that's depressed, you find somebody that's lonely, and social media doesn't cut it. Uh, kids today don't have the skill sets to converse with people. And when you call them, you say, I don't want to text. Why am I? I don't want to text. Let's just talk. Let's talk this out on the phone. They don't know how to converse. They don't know how to have that conversation. If it's condensed to that little snippet, well, that's great. You know, we love that. But the problem is, is life doesn't happen that way. And and uh, you have to, you just have to work stuff out. You have to figure out a way to get through it. And so, I don't know. It's um it's one of those things. But I tell you what, I've sure enjoyed having you on today. I know that everybody else has too. And um and and. Uh, it, I'd love to have you on again. There's many of your posts that I wanted to talk about today, but I felt like we keep it just to a, a few of them, just so we don't overwhelm people. But uh, I'd love for you to come back on anytime, and if we can help you doing what you do, we're, we're happy to do it for sure. Well, I'm, I'm, again, I've, I've been honored. This has been um, life-giving for me um, to hear your story, and, and you're a miracle. Um, so it's not every day that I, I get to speak to a, a literally a miracle and your story is certainly that. And the fact that you're taking that now and sharing that with, um, such a large, large audience of people that, that to me is inspiring, which has been ultimately what, what I think I've taken away. I, again, the, the, the viral thing's funny. I can check it off a list somewhere and say, Hey, I had a thing go viral once. Um, but ultimately, you know, what's been so cool to me is to make new friends, um, to hear stories. I've heard heartbreaking stories. I've heard powerful stories of single parents, you know, moms that have, the husband has either passed away or, or left, um, trying to do their own thing. And so they took this list and said, this is going to help me connect with my son. I mean, just powerful stuff. And to hear your story and, and just be on with you here for the last hour or so, it's just uh it's been special for me. So thank you for that, and I'll absolutely come back and and, uh, and check in sometime as well. Oh, that's awesome. I, I sure appreciate it. Thank you so much, Aaron. Folks, follow Aaron at AaronConrad.com. Uh, you will not be sorry that you did. Let's keep him busy. Let's yeah. keep him writing, folks. Thank you so much, Aaron. My <laughs> to your family. Take good care. Thank you. I appreciate it. God bless you. Bye-bye. You too. There you have it, Aaron Conrad, folks. That was a, a neat, neat guy, neat interview. I look forward to talking with him again, both on air and off air. Um, you know, it, it is interesting how things will how things will happen. Sometimes, you know, you end up you end up connecting with people, and you think this is a terrible thing to happen to me. This is a terrible thing to happen to you. This is a terrible thing, and my whole life's going to change, and it's going to be bad, and all of these things, and. And, and then what happens, you know? Something good comes of it. Hey, speaking of something good, take a listen to this for just one minute and 11 seconds. Hey, welcome to the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show. And this is the Ninja Pastor, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. I'm asking you something that I, I fail at asking enough, but I'm asking you to please subscribe to my site at theninjapastor.com, theninjapastor.com. Look, your donations are most welcome, and what they do is they allow me to continue my work as the Ninja Pastor, doing what we do here. Please consider a donation of $50 and receive my newsletter. 
plus a signed book that I wrote called Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. It's a critically acclaimed book. And my ebook, Living Through Grief on Purpose. I'll send that right now, right to your inbox for a donation of $50. Uh, in addition to the newsletter and books, donations above $500 will actually receive all of the above and my personalized, bound, and signed book of my favorite photographs that to me really reveal God's glory in nature. And they affirm much of what we discuss here at the Collision of Faith and Politics and The Ninja Pastor. So what I want you to do is visit www.theninjapastor.com and subscribe and donate today. Thank you so much. I sure, I sure appreciate it. I really do. Amen. Thank you. I'm thanking me because I recorded the thing, but thank you for being willing to help us out and, and to do enable us to do what we're doing. I'll just tell you what we're what we're working toward now is to try in some way to replace this computer. Um, it is several several years old, and it's I'm pushing it beyond its capability. So uh, maybe you know somebody that has an Apple Store, or they're in a place to be able to donate one. Um, I need a lot of RAM is the big thing because this, what I do runs, this is what the computer, I don't know any of this stuff. I'm just parroting what they told me, but um, they've looked at it and they've said, I said, is there anything I could do to help it, you know, help it along? And, and they're no, no, it's dying a, a painful, slow death, but anything you do. Now I also have uh, photography that I do. If you say, well, I, you know, let me go pick out what I, what I want. You know, I don't want to, I don't want you to send me something. I want to pick out what I want. If you go to www.shawn, S-H-A-W-N, M, as in Michael, Sean M dash greener, as in the grass is always greener, dot pixels, P-I-X-E-L-S, dot com, you will uh, see my um, my photography. And it's all for sale there. But it's not just frame prints. We do all kinds of stuff. We have uh, tote bags, greeting cards, beautiful greeting cards. So any of my work you can have put on just about anything. I'm telling you, it's pretty cool. It really is pretty cool. And, you know, Christmas isn't that far away. Maybe, you know, you start stocking up now. And so everything that comes from every sale. Now, don't think I'm getting rich off these pictures because I pay. I can't frame and do any of that stuff anymore. But um, I pay a company called Fine Art America to run this site. It's a, it's a big site, they do it, but it's my own personal site, but it's through them, and they do everything. They have professional framers, any kind of frame you want, any kind of matting you want, any kind of paper you want. They, they have, it's a professional, really top-notch, number one in the world for what they do. So if you want to go there, uh, I would love that. I absolutely would love that. One of the things we do, and we love to do this, and we've been able to do it more and more, uh, is we send out Bibles, but we don't send out, you know, real cheap Bibles you know, costs us $2. We send out a Bible that's $60, costs us $60, and it's called the Complete Jewish Bible. It is an amazing Bible. It is beautiful. It will last a lifetime. It's easy to read. It is, in my opinion, one of the two most accurate Bibles ever written uh, from, a, from a translation standpoint, and it, it is really in touch with the Hebrew worldview and culture and language, the land of the people and the people of the land. Uh, so we send those out, and we've had the opportunity to send several of those out. Um, we've been paying for it, but our Kehala on Sundays, you know, it's a very small gathering, but they're so gracious and so sweet. And many of you that listen out there, you contribute to that. So that's another thing that we do with it. But our, our real critical thing 
I have enough Bibles right now that I can cover maybe five or six more people. Uh, some great friends of the show gave uh, on Sunday, and so we that covers a Bible. And so we're, you know, we've got five or six left. And so, but what we need to do is replace this computer because it's it's not going to make it. So I talked on Sunday, and I know we don't have much time, so I'm just going to touch on this about uh, who am I and changing personalities. Who are you? Uh, changing personalities on purpose, the ultimate identity crisis, and it was it was a really hard message to preach. I'm not kidding you. It was it was the hardest one I've ever done. And so, in that, uh, it got me thinking uh, because you know obviously I read that song and then I read the the 30 things to you know teach your son. And I said, a man who can do those 30 things as a matter of practice and character in his life will know who he is, what he is. And those two things, the song and that, you know, the 30-item list, seem like they're not related, but they're so related. They're so related. And I'll tell you, you know, today, heal our land, heal our hearts. There's so much. The reason why we're struggling so bad is we don't know who we are. We don't know whose we are. We talked about how men with Aaron, the men are young boys are not being you know, now they're going to charge you with a crime if you accidentally call a woman a man or a man a woman, a boy, a girl, a girl, a boy. You know, and, and, and but they, this is crazy town, folks. This is just ultimately an identity crisis. And what it becomes is they don't know who they are. People don't know who they are. And I'm chief among them. I'm chief among them. And when people are struggling, they go the wrong direction. And it's just like I talked about with you know with the uh, the most addictive drug is is loneliness and that's going to be in my book I'm working on now uh called fraudulent living it's going to be put out as an ebook that you can buy online i don't know what it's going to cost probably 4.99 or 6.99 or whatever i don't know it costs me to do it so uh i have to get back my expenses but whatever over that we have we put into the ministry um i i just think a man who can do those 30 things as a matter of practice in character's life. He's going to know who he is. He's going to know what he is. And I think that's missing, which brings me to really three powerful questions, and they really confronted me. Who in the world do you think you are? Who in the world do I think I am? And who who in the world do we think God is? And I have to ask you, and I ask the audience on Sunday, and I ask you now, have you ever lost yourself? I mean, have you ever, for a period of time, for whatever reason, lost who you are, lost what you stood for, lost faith in what you believe, lost, just lost in whatever Satan's lying elixirs for what else your life are? I think it's fair to say most of us, at some point or another in our lives, we've really stepped off the subway platform into the train's path with a grin of misguided, selfish stupor on our face. We did what we wanted to do because it seemed good. We knew it was wrong. It seemed good. And I want to do this. The thing, you know, the wrong choice. Wrong choice. I do, uh, I help some people out that are uh, they're getting serious in dating or they're you know, engaged to be married. I like to catch them before they get engaged. We do a six- to eight-week program where, and if you know anybody like this, you have to pay for it because it's professional counseling. Uh, it takes a lot of my time, and it's, and it's, it's good stuff, I have to say. The, 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 the male comes once a week by themselves. The female comes once a week by themselves. And then they come together uh, with me and spend an hour 
once a week. So it's three hours of your time, you know, two hours each of your time, three hours of my time, and then six hours of note-taking and praying and, and study, you know, for me after each session. So there's more to it than just, oh, that's only now. But it is it does cost. There's a cost for it. But I love to do it because at the end, I look them in the eye and I say one of three things. I say, you guys are going to do great. You're on the right track. You've covered all the things that you need to cover, and I think you you have a commonality here that you're gonna you're gonna make a great family. You're gonna be a great family. Got a great chance, really great chance. Or I'm going to say, you two should postpone your marriage for such and such period of time. Here are the things that each of you, singularly, individually, and each of you, collect couple need to do before I would ever say that you'd be wise. Listen, you have a 50-50 chance of making it. And here are the things that you need to work on. Here's how you work on them. Or you're not going to make it. And then there's that third thing, which none of them want to ever hear, and that is listen. You two not only should never get married, you should not date each other. And in fact, neither of you should date anyone for a year while you work on yourselves. In your enlightened self-interest, work on these things. And I real honest with them about what the problems are as I see them. And here's how you work on them. But no, you two should never be together. You should not even date. In fact, when you leave here today, go get a friend of the same sex and you go if if you need to go get some stuff from his house, he needs to get some stuff from yours, don't be mean, don't be unkind to each other. But take a friend so you're not tempted to not do it and say, you know, I've learned some stuff. Don't have a big statement and say, but you know what? I care about you. But I'm going to trust Dr. Sean, and I think this is probably what we need to do. And every time I've done that, uh, except for one time, they've they've talked to me later and said, oh, my gosh, thank you. Whew, that was a close one. And the, and the one time that they went against that, it was a nightmare, and they, their, their marriage ended up being a big fight just all the time, and it didn't last very long. But listen, as far as the lying elixirs of, of Satan, you know, there's a lot of loneliness in people. There's a lot of gaps. I have them. I'm I have them. I've stepped off the subway platform into the train's path knowing full well that train's going to run me over and it's going to wreck some stuff and it's going to hurt other people. Most of us, at least the honest ones, we remember a time in our life when we made the completely wrong decision to do one thing or the other that we wanted to do only and because we wanted to do it, but we knew we shouldn't when we were making the decision. When we were taking that step, we knew we were doing wrong, no matter how it ended up in the end. And some of us, you know, we got through our own stupidity, our stubbornness safely. We did. We got through it, and we were in one piece, thank God. Everything didn't fall apart, even though it should have. If we're being honest, it should have. There's no reason why it wouldn't or couldn't. You know what, I'll I'll be real frank with you. It could be now that even still, now nobody knows what you did. Nobody knows, and you think it's fine. Everything didn't fall apart, and despite you doing everything you should not have done, your life isn't ruined, or maybe it is ruined on the inside, where it matters most. Maybe that is still eating you up on the inside. And I'm going to be really honest with myself here. I'm going to be transparent, probably for many of you, way too much. But after my fatal head-on 92-mile-per-hour versus 51-mile-per-hour car crash, the subsequent train 
I, I had a traumatic brain injury. I have a traumatic brain injury. It affects every aspect of my life. I was prescribed this drug, and I'm not going to mention the drug name because I don't want to get sued, but it's prescribed for people who have brain injuries, seizures, intractable pain, all of which I had then and still have now. The thing is, this drug, it has terrible side effects. I mean terrible side effects. It, it strips One of the side effects is it strips away any of your inhibitions, any reluctance that you might have. You know, you might have a, a, a reluctance to do a certain thing. You might say, mm, no, that's, that's beneath me. I, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. No, that that'd be a violation of trust for somebody else. I wouldn't do that. You don't even have that. That doesn't even occur in your brain when you're taking this drug legally prescribed. You don't have that. And you do things you might have never thought of doing before. You react to, other, to others in a different way. You respond to others in a different way. You see things dramatically different than they actually are. And it, look, folks, it's a powerful paradigm shift in thought and action. Look, and a lot of you had to deal with me during that time when I was on those drugs. You had to deal with me. And for that, I'm sorry. It couldn't have been fun. Peach to deal with normally. But on this drug, I'm telling you, I was a mess. And I'm not taking that drug now. I don't take any uh, pharmaceutical drugs at all now. One, I can't afford it. I don't have health insurance. Thank you, Barack Obama. But I can tell you that the ramifications of taking that drug all that time were extraordinary and long-lasting. And to tell you the truth, it really boils down to this, and this is where the rubber meets the road. I no longer knew who I was. So who am I? Who are you? Who is God? And I'll tell you this, the most dangerous place you can ever be in your life is lost in yourself not knowing who or what you are. I've been there. Lost is dangerous. And when you're lost in yourself, you are dangerous to yourself and anybody else who loves you. So you might be asking yourself, well, then who am I? In order to answer that question, one thing I don't need to know, and one thing you don't need to know, if you're asking that of yourself right now, anywhere around the world that's listening, if you're listening to this, this doesn't matter. Resist the urge. I don't need to know. In order to know who I am, I don't need to know who you are. And it sounds rough and it sounds unkind, but really it doesn't matter who you are in the pursuit of finding out who I am. What really matters most in the question of who I am is who am I, just as I am. Who am I? And I'll tell you, this is probably more than you ever want to know or need to know about me, but one of the most consistent struggles in my life can be summed up in one word, identity. And you know what? I, I first really became aware of this in my early teen years. But the intense, and I'm telling you, sometimes it was debilitating. Struggle continued even in my adulthood. You'd never know to look at me. But I'm telling you, I had no self-concept. I didn't know who I was at all. Look, I tried to be good at sports, and I was. And I did that to see if that could be my identity. I tried to be good at performing, and I was, to see if that could be my identity. I tried to be good at art, and I was, to see if that could be my identity. You might laugh at this, but it's, it's, it has been a problem. Um, you know, seeking and needing the, the uh, uh, I don't even know what word I'm looking for, but the appreciation of females. I tried to be good with the ladies, and I was, to see if that could be my identity. I served in the military with honor. I did that. I wanted to see if that could be my identity. I served with honor in law enforcement, and I did. Maybe that could be my identity. I was one of the best bodyguards you could ever hire. 
to see if maybe that could be. A, look, I was a straight A student in my university education. I said maybe I'll, I, maybe this will help me find who I am, and I did. From an early age on, I, I, everything looked great on the outside, but I developed bleeding stomach ulcers, serious digestive issues by the time I was 16 years old. So great. This pressure I put on myself, it was so terrible to become a, a person of worth. And I'm telling you, I got, I got involved with people who ripped my guts out on the inside. They were the wrong person for the wrong reason at the wrong time. I, over the years of my lifetime, I've transitioned in and out of many identities. Athlete, performer, Navy sailor, son, husband, brother, father, small business owner, operator, police officer, student, bodyguard, singer, friend, radio personality, author, and speaker. But what, which one defines me? Do any of these things define me? Do any of those define you? Which one of those define me as just as I am? Just as I am. Which one of those are accurate? And I'll tell you, I've been so blessed to have great Sunday school teachers. I've sat under some of the great preachers of all time and great professors and teachers. I've been so blessed. And, and I've read thousands of books. And all the professors I sat under and read the books, the answer is always faintly echoing in my ear. I am God's child. He loves me, and he made me in his image. But the question is, that sounds great as a bumper sticker, but why was that never enough? Why was it never enough? Even as an adult man, I was an adult man. I had a modicum of success in my life. Why did I find myself still clawing for identity, approval, secretly feeling maybe maybe this is you? I don't, you know, maybe it is you. Maybe you can identify this. But I was still clawing for identity, still clawing for approval, and secretly fearing failure. Any of the Bible verses that were supposed to make me feel secure, they lacked any traction in my heart and mind. What people said about me held a lot more weight, and even though, really, not to brag, I mean, but they said nice things about me. Most of the time, they were very complimentary things, but I didn't believe them. But I'll tell you what, when they said something negative, you better believe I believe that. You can bet on that. And I'm going to tell you, everything on the outside looked stable. It did. Everything looked fine. I looked fine. I looked successful. looked articulate. You know, looked like I was just swimming right along. But I'm telling you this, and maybe you can identify with this, my day could be saved or destroyed by an email, a rejection, a betrayal, an embarrassment, or a compliment or lack thereof. And, and this is true. This is real. In the last few, only in the last few years have I admitted to myself that I doubted the unconditional and intimate, genuine nature of God's love for me. How could I be sure that his love wasn't based on how I perform or what I do for him like I viewed everybody else's love? Profess their love, their for all eternity love to me. Love of my life. You're it. Oh, only to change their mind somewhere along the way. How could I be sure that God wouldn't do the same thing? I've come to realize God's words of love for me, they held little weight because I'd always been, they'd always come to me secondhand. Many others told me of God's love, but I needed to hear it from God himself. So I began doing the scariest thing you'll ever do is asking him personally and then shutting up and listening for the answer. Now, here's what I discovered. He didn't just tell me he loved me. He began to tell me who I really am. When you draw near to Hashem, that's the real name of God, 
And listen, he doesn't speak generically. He speaks specifically. He speaks directly to you. And if you look closely at the Bible, you'll see time after time how the Lord spoke personally and intimately to a person about who they are. He said, Abram, you're the father of many nations. Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. Daniel, you're highly esteemed by God. Mary, you are highly favored by God. Peter, you're a rock upon which I will build my church. David, you're a man after God's own heart. Man. I have to say, David Phelps, one of my one of the greatest singers of all time, one of the greatest voices, he sings a song that was written by Dick Wagner and Rob Hagel, and they've written some of the most amazing songs. It's called Just As I Am. It's not the same Just As I Am you're thinking. Uh, Google this when the show finishes in just a couple of minutes. Dear Lord, I'm on my knees again. I come to you because you understand I've tried so hard, but I just can't change myself. That's why I know I need your help. So here I am. This is my plea. My only hope is your love for me. I'm reaching out so desperately. Come take my hand. Take all of me just as I am. Oh, Lord, you make what's broken new. Why can't I just learn to follow you? I want, I want to know you and feel you in my soul. I surrender all control. So here I am. This is my plea. My only hope is your love for me. I'm reaching out so desperately. Come take my hand. Take all of me just as I am, not afraid to follow you where you lead me. I can leave the past behind me. I'm forgiven and I'm free. So here I am. This is my plea. My only hope is your love for me. I'm reaching out so desperately. Come take my hand and take all of me just as I am. Then it occurred to me. This very powerful realization that I wasn't reaching out for the right things. I was reaching for the wrong things, no matter how important they may seem to me and maybe you to be important to who I was and who I am and will be. Maybe you can identify with this. I don't know. But you have to think of this. You have to think of this. It starts and stops with God. There's a song by the Gaither Vocal Band called Alpha and Omega. You can Google that too while you're at it. Alpha and Omega. And I'm telling you. Maybe this is you. Maybe this was you. Maybe you've been going to the wrong well to quench. You know, you've been trying to quench this unquenchable thirst for acceptance and love just as you are. You've been going to the wrong well. How about that woman at the well? Man, she's, she met with Jesus and, and he offered to give her a drink, and she didn't have any concept. No concept at all. My friends, i got to tell you. A lot of us are walking around, walking wounded, and it's a shame. Give a listen to this. Reach out to me at smgreener at gmail.com. Facebook, reach out to me at uh, Twitter at, at the Ninja Pastor. Thank you for listening. Folks, as we wrap up today's show, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen and share this show. Uh, and also, I want to remind you to visit our partners TheLogOx.com, Lieberman Early, Second Call Defense, and the Michael Strange Foundation. And I'd like you to please subscribe to The Ninja Pastor at www.TheNinjaPastor.com. Please consider a donation of $50 and receive my newsletter plus a signed book that I wrote called Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, and my ebook Living Through Grief on Purpose, sent right to your inbox. In addition to the newsletter and books, donations above $500 receive all of the above, and they receive my personalized bound and signed book of all my favorite photographs that I've shot 
uh, that to me really reveal God's glory in nature and affirm much of what we discuss here at the Ninja Pastor. Lastly, I want you to remember that I reach over 1.4 million listeners with every time I'm on the radio reach of over 500,000 people each time I host this show. And if you'd like to reach people who share your values and who you would like to buy uh, from like-minded companies, please contact me at theninjapastor.com and to discuss any sponsorship or partnership opportunities. Thanks again so much for listening, and God bless you, and God bless America. Join us next time for The Collision of Faith and Politics. And please follow this show at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the ninja pastor and follow dr sean on twitter at the ninja pastor and on facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash god in country radio and at www.drseangreener.com in the meantime dr sean will be fighting for you and for this great country Thank you for joining in this fight.